of Leviticus. To the Old Testament, to the law, to the book of Leviticus and chapter 16. Chapter 16, reading from verses, verses 11 through to 19. Leviticus chapter 16, reading from 11 to 19. And this is part of the law's instruction as to the sacrifices that are to be offered on the Day of Atonement. Leviticus chapter 16 and verse 11. This is the living word of God. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin offering to make atonement for himself and his household. And he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement cover above the testimony so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. He shall then slaughter the goat for the sin offering for the people and take its blood behind the curtain and do with it as he did with the bull's blood. He shall sprinkle it on the atonement cover and in front of it. In this way he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is to do the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. No one is to be in the tent of meeting from the time Aaron goes in to make atonement in the most holy place until he comes out, having made atonement for himself, his household, and the whole community of Israel. Then he shall come out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it. He shall take some of the bull's blood and some of the goat's blood and put it on the horns of the altar. He shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times to cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleanness of the Israelites. Amen. And we turn in our books of praise again, again to God's word, and we turn to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11 and verse 33, reading through to chapter 12 and verse 2. Romans 11 33 to Romans 12 and verse 2. And our consideration this evening will be on the first verse of Romans 12. Romans 12 verse 1. But we'll read from chapter 11 and verse 33. This is God's holy word. Oh, the depth of the riches 
of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Amen. And as I say, our consideration, particularly is in Romans 12, verse 1. You can't have avoided hearing someone say over the past few days that 2016 was the worst year that there has ever been. The BBC political commentator Gavin Hewitt says... 2016 was the year of the unravelling. Norms were dispensed with. Old ideas were challenged and discarded. Our settled world was shaken. And we became used to the shock of the new. Of course you could have much debate over whether or not 2016 was the worst year that there has ever been. Certainly looking a hundred years ago at what happened at the Somme, you could say that perhaps 1916 was a worse year. But nevertheless, that's the opinion that people have. And whenever I hear that opinion, what comes to mind is a French phrase. And for those of you who speak French, I apologise. But that phrase that the French has for such have for such things is this plus ça change plus c'est la même chose the more things change the more things remain the same yes 2016 has been a year of change things have changed in many ways they've changed socially they've changed politically They've changed technologically. But in so many ways, things have remained the same. God remains sovereign. Man remains fallen and in need of redemption. The consequences of man's rebellion against God remain consistent. 
The more things change in some ways, the more things remain the same. I don't have a French Bible in front of me, but I wonder if there is something like that phrase, plus ça change, plus c'est la même chose, at this particular part of the book of Romans. Because here we see that Paul has come to the end of saying how much things have changed. He has said that the sacrificial system of old, that sacrificial system that we looked at in Leviticus has been set aside. It is no longer there. There is a different situation as far as those who want to be righteous before God are concerned. They come to God in a different way. They come to God in and through Christ. But yet as he begins to explain and expand on what he has already laid down. He comes to this particular verse. And he says, therefore, drawing from what has gone before. I urge you brothers, in view of God's mercy, what are they to do? They are to sacrifice. As often as things change, so things remain the same. And as we sit before God around his word this evening, this is what we must consider. Yes, the sacrificial system has ended. It finished in Christ and praise him for that. But we come as a people who must sacrifice. So what does it mean by this sacrifice? How is it that we are to sacrifice? Well, within this short verse, Paul highlights three things. He highlights three aspects about the nature of sacrifice that we must understand. The first aspect is this, the upward aspect, the upward aspect. Now, were we to go out onto the street and ask somebody about a definition of sacrifice, I'm sure it wouldn't be very long before we would come to somebody who would say, well, sacrifice is all about giving something up. It might be something that is dear to us. It might be something that is important to us. We give something up and that is a sacrifice. So for example, a sports person who wants to be successful in their particular field of sport, they have to set everything else aside for the sake of the achievement of that particular goal. They have to give up their Christmas dinners. They have to give up those times whenever they perhaps might stay up longer than they should. They organize their lives. They give up something in order to achieve this other goal. But whenever it comes to the Christian, whenever it comes to those who want to sacrifice for the sake of God, there's a different focus. The prime focus of sacrifice is not on what we give up. It's not upon what we set aside. The prime focus of sacrifice is the one to whom we offer this sacrifice. 
Sacrifice has at its very heart, at its very centre, the command of God. The law reiterates how sacrifice is to be brought to God. Sacrifice is to the Lord. It's for the Lord. It's of the Lord. It's before the Lord. The first focus, the upward aspect of sacrifice is this truth. It is for the Lord. So our prime emphasis on sacrifice can't be, what do I give up? What is it that I can set aside in order to be sacrificial? Our prime focus, whenever we think of sacrifice, must be the one to whom we bring that sacrifice. And that one to whom we bring the sacrifice is the all-holy, almighty, ever-reigning God. In the law, we read about sacrifice being brought to the Lord for the sake of making the one who brings the sacrifice holy before the Lord. There is the acknowledgement that God is holy, that man is sinful, and it is the mean, by means of the shedding of blood that God can be approached. Indeed, the writer to the Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. And so it is. Sacrifice must be acceptable. To this holy and this perfect God. Here Paul emphasizes the need for sacrifice. The need for this upward aspect by saying I urge you. I appeal to you. I beseech you. Here he's using the strongest possible terms. He's saying this is vital for you to understand. As God has done something for you. As you no longer have to sacrifice in the way that people used to sacrifice. There is this other sacrifice you offer. And you must do this. It's not in the form of a command. He's not demanding it. He's saying this is for your benefit. This is for your good. This is what you must do. This sacrifice is something that we all must do. We must look to God. And we must look to him not seeking his mercy. But we are responding to the mercy that God has already given. And that's the importance of this phrase. That in the view of God's mercy. He's saying you have mercy already. You don't need any more mercy. You couldn't have any more mercy. No matter how much you sacrifice, you have enough mercy. But in view of this mercy, because of God's mercy, you bring yourself, your whole being, everything you are, and you present it to God. That's the prime focus of our sacrifice. And that must be the the attitude that we have. 
That must be the attitude that we carry in to 2017, that each and every single day that God grants us, we sacrifice ourselves, we come to him and we offer ourselves to him, not because we seek his mercy, but because he has given us his mercy. In previous chapters, Paul has explained this mercy. He's explained how all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But those who come to Christ, those who depend upon his sacrifice, take it as their own. They are fully justified by faith. They have peace with God and Jesus Christ. And because they are justified and have peace with God in Jesus Christ, they now face no condemnation at all. None for their sin. And so this is not a sin offering that Paul is talking about. This is the offering of a whole being, of a life Offering it to God. As Isaiah said whenever he had his great vision. Here I am. That is the sacrifice that is being offered here. That we're being told to offer. Is this a sacrifice that you are offering? Is this how you step into each and every day? That I will sacrifice it all for God or is it perhaps the case that you don't know God in this way that you're still seeking his mercy in some other facet outside of faith in Jesus Christ if that is the case then your your sacrifice will not be accepted In Jesus Christ we come to God and we offer ourselves by the mercy that God has already given us to him. We see this upward aspect. The second thing is this, we see an outward aspect. We see an outward aspect aspect. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Now, if there was one theme that has appeared over the past few years within society, it is the idea of individual autonomy. We are told that we have absolute autonomy over what we do with our own bodies. We are perfectly free to make whatever choices about our own bodies we may want to make. If we perceive ourselves as being in the wrong gender, then we can mutilate our bodies so that we become like the other gender. That's acceptable. If we want to make choices as far as how we define ourselves as male or female, we can make that choice as long as we do it ourselves. We identify, we certify ourselves personally and nobody else can take any part in that. 
And we must realize just how strong a hold that has in society. And the demands that makes upon us to respond to it and to say, no, we are not our own. We cannot, we do not make those choices. And as we do stand out against these ideas, as we do proclaim against it, we must expect to take flat in return. People will point the finger at us and say, you just want to stop choice. You just don't recognize people as being individuals. You just don't love people because you wouldn't, you wouldn't be doing this if you love these, tr- these people truly. You would let them do what they want. We can't allow that thinking to permeate our minds. We can't allow that thinking to come into our church. Because here Paul is saying quite clearly that in view of God's mercy, we're to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Whenever Paul was teaching in the, to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians six eighteen and 19, he says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. It cannot be emphasized strongly enough how countercultural that message is. That even our very bodies, our physical beings, are to be holy and pleasing to God. That our bodies are not our own to make our own choices about. Our bodies are not there so that we seek self-gratification in whatever way we so choose. But rather, we are to mortify the sins of the body, put them to death, so that we are holy and acceptable to God. In Galatians 5, Paul describes this further. He says, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not Inherit the kingdom of God. Why does God find these things offensive? Because whenever an individual pursues life in this particular way, they are saying, my body is my own. I can do what I like with it. No one, not even the holy God, can demand of me what I do with myself. Rather, as Paul goes on in Galatians 5, he says, But the fruit of the Spirit 
is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. As we face the world today, where those things that Paul rails against are commended, and in some cases are demanded to stand out against them, to step back and say, no, I want to be holy, I want to present myself acceptable to God. The challenge is great. The challenge is costly. And that's why it is a sacrifice. Just to return to what Paul said at the beginning of this verse where he says, I urge you, I exhort you, I beseech you, I appeal to you. Here he's emphasizing the individual nature of this. He's saying that this applies to each and every one of you. It must be taken on board personally. It must be taken as an individual. Set yourself apart from the world. Step out from the world. Be holy. Be acceptable to God. Even if it is a sacrifice. And whenever he says to offer or to present your bodies to God. He's talking about a deliberate a determined and a purposeful action. This is not something that happens accidentally. This is not something that we wander into and turn around and think, oh, I was quite sacrificial there, actually. That's not how it is. This must come from determined, deliberate, purposeful action. And in that way, by determining that we will set ourselves apart from, for God. That we will sacrifice ourselves for his glory. It is in that way we follow the, the command of to be holy as I am holy. Now we find it hard to comprehend the, the Old Testament sacrificial system. Whenever we read passages from Leviticus like we read earlier on, it's, it's something that is very confusing. It's something that is so remote from us, so apart from us that we cannot grasp it. But it is a scene of high drama. It's full of, of sensory information. There's sight, there's sound, there's smell, there's taste, there's touch. Everything is called to our attention. What would, it, what would it be like to bring an animal in and to slaughter that animal and to drain the blood from that animal and to place that animal upon an altar and burn it? To set your hand on that animal to claim that sacrifice as your own, to have that blood sprinkled upon you. If you saw a scene like that, you would remember it. But 
that system has been fulfilled in Christ. It's no longer part of what we must do. But the sacrifice that we make to God should be no less visible and no less involving. It may talk about the body here, but it's talking about our whole beings, that deliberate offering of ourselves to God. Everything that we are. John Calvin says this, It is then the beginning of a right course in good works when we understand that we are consecrated to the Lord. For it hence follows that we must cease to live to ourselves in order that we may devote all the actions of our life to his service. So in whatever position we find ourselves in life, And whatever challenge that is presented to us, we must devote all our actions, all our lives to his service. That's what it means to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, setting ourselves apart from the world and living to please God. And that is the bottom line. So we see the upward aspect. We sacrifice to God. We see the outward aspect. That life of service. Thirdly and lastly. We see an inward aspect. We see an inward aspect. Paul finishes this verse by saying. This is your spiritual act of worship. There's an inward spiritual aspect to this. And whenever we think of who God is and how God is, whenever we think of how we are to live our lives, this is a reasonable and logical conclusion, an outcome to come to. What else can we do? What else should we do but do everything so that we act in the form of worship to God? So that we give ourselves completely and acknowledge his dominion over us in its entirety. So that we give ourselves to God and acknowledge that he is able to use us in his service and for his glory. Jesus promised before he was was crucified that the Spirit of God would be upon his disciples. He promised that the spiritual world would be a gift, that the the spiritual gift would be given to his people in the world. That as he would leave them, so he would give his Spirit and his Spirit would be in them. And they would know him. And they would grow to know him. And they would grow to love him more and more. 
And as we are in Christ this evening, so we have the indwelling spirit. As we are in Christ this evening, so that spirit lives within us and enables us to worship him as we ought, enables us to serve him as we ought, enables us to sacrifice our whole beings to him as we ought. Because of the spirit, true worship is possible. And so the emphasis changes not to the sacrifice that we give to God. So we can't turn around and say, look at what I'm doing for you, God. Look at all these things that I am fulfilling here. Surely you want to bless me because of these works I am doing. No, we come to God and we understand that God lives within us by his spirit. And we say, I desire to worship you as I ought. I desire to offer my whole being in its entirety to you as a means of worship. And that has to be the emphasis. So tomorrow morning we might get up and we might think, well, what can I do for you today, Lord? Perhaps the better question would be, how can I worship you today, Lord? And in seeking to worship God in this inner spiritual sense, then those good works, those things that we should be doing, flow forth. That's what this teaching is about spiritual worship. Of our spirits being molded and being shaped by God's spirit himself. So that we are able to worship as we ought. The psalmist in Psalm 51, that great psalm of confession says, For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it you will not be pleased with a burnt offering the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit a broken and contrite heart O God you will not despise see how that's internal see how that's within Had the psalmist been able to bring the bulls to the altar, had the psalmist been able to slaughter the animals so that they could be burnt in his behalf, he would have done that. But that wasn't what God was after. Here we have an outworking of what God was after. He's saying it is in your spirit, within your being, that you are able to worship God. And that is what God finds acceptable. Here we see the fulfillment of so much of what was taught in the Old Testament. Jeremiah 32, 40 says, I will make them an everlasting covenant that I will not turn away from doing good to them and I will put the fear of me in their hearts that they may not turn away from me. This is what Paul is saying here. He's saying, do you realize what has happened? 
Do you realize how the mercy of God has rested upon you? Has worked within you? Has changed you? Do you realize how your responsibility follows on from that? That you give yourself as a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable to God? And this is all because God's spirit is within you and working good in you. This inward aspect, the change of heart, the molding of the spirit is all important whenever it comes to the Christian life. It isn't in what we do in an outward sense. It isn't how often we come to church. It isn't how we think we might be praising God so it can be seen. No, there is this inner life. And it is that that leads to this true spiritual worship. We live by faith. We live not by sight. It's so easy to get caught up in the way the world thinks that focuses on externals. It's how you look that matters. It's what car you drive that matters. It's the house you live in that matters. And you're judged in those particular ways. We can do something and we can think to ourselves, well, well, what would people think? And we can end up not making a right choice, not doing something that is right because we worry about what people think. Here the emphasis is very much on the truth. We must ask ourselves the question, what does God think? How does he consider who I am and what I am doing? Is my service holy and acceptable in his sight? Am I being molded within by the Holy Spirit? Am I worshipping in this spiritual way? Or am I seeking the praise of man rather than the praise of God? These pressures exist. These pressures are subtle. These pressures can work their way into our thinking. And there is such a danger that we can take pride in our difference of outward rituals where our hearts may be far from God. And so we're faced with the challenge here from Paul. What is the quality of our worship? How does our worship stand up to this standard of spiritual worship? Is God working within us in such a way that we are enabled to be holy, to be humble, to be still in his presence? Or are we coming to God and saying, you know, God, I'm a good lad. I do this for you. I do that for you. You know, I spoke to that person. All of which may be good, right and proper. 
but they knew do not give us a right to come before God and worship him. As we come to God to worship, we come with this sacrificial attitude. We come with this sacrificial attitude in which we say yes to God's mercy. In which we say, here I am in my entirety. I offer myself to you. In which we receive God's spirit. And we are able to worship aright. The challenge of this is great. The challenge of this should shake us to the very core of our beings. But as we step into 2017, as we face a time of change, a time of great change, and we cannot say what that change will be as we are worshipping here now, We face that time of change with the understanding that there are things that remain exactly the same. And what God demands of us to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, is something that is unchangeable. So let us Step into 2017 with confidence. Let us step into 2017 with determination. But let us offer ourselves to God. Let us worship him as we ought with this spiritual act of worship. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you that we are able to give you our praise for the mercy that you offer us. We thank you for your justification that you have given to us in Christ. We thank you that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And with that in view, we offer our bodies now as living sacrifices to you. We offer ourselves as those sacrifices that desire to be holy for you, that desire to be pleasing to you, that would be acceptable to you. We know, Father, that we can seek our own desires. We can follow our own paths so easily. But we ask, Father, that we would know your strengthening, that would enable us to live holy lives, to live costly lives, to live lives that would glorify your name. May we have the the insight to understand those parts of our beings which are offensive to you, to seek your forgiveness, to seek your redemption, that we may be able to step out confidently and say that, yes, I am the Lord's. 
and for people to be able to look at us and to see the Lord at work within us. We thank you for the gift of your spirit. May we seek to worship you in the spirit day and daily as we offer ourselves to you. That is what you have asked of us this evening. We pray that none of us will refuse you this, but that we will be determined in the strength and the blessing of your, of your spirit to live according to your word, following your way. We thank you for your presence with us. Go with us shortly as we separate. May we know your grace and your help. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.